Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. It's page 758. Uh, for the last two weeks, been in our new series called Acts, the Unstoppable Power of the Gospel, and looking at how the gospel started with just a handful of Jewish followers and expanded and became international to the ends of the earth. So we pick up in Acts chapter 1. It'll be on the screen as well. And as we go, just in case you're nervous, I won't always start with verse 1. Like eventually, we're going to get too far, but we're still close enough that I can start with verse 1. Uh, so verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Now within Christianity, there are several events that we regularly uh, celebrate. We've got the, the birth of Christ, uh, the death of Christ, the, the resurrection, and we have uh, celebrations and holidays around those, right? We have Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, and if you wanted to give somebody a card or a Hallmark card, you can probably find them like an Easter card to give somebody. Still, the, still these days. It might be changing a little bit. Uh, but today I want us to look at the ascension of, of Jesus, an often overlooked event in the life of Jesus. And if you go to Hallmark looking for an ascension card, I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find, but you could try it. Like go uh, to the store and ask them and see what their reaction is to the uh, asking for the ascension uh, card. And, and uh, my goal today is to help us understand the, the meaning of the ascension and why it is so important and that maybe, you know how you get ready for Christmas and there's some anticipation of Christmas and the celebration that, that maybe when we think about the, the ascension, we have that same type of, of joy and anticipation when we think about what it means, uh, what it means for us. And, and uh, Luke here is, is writing, and it's the only event in the life of Jesus that he, he gives us twice. So he writes the, the gospel of Luke, and at the end of Luke, he, he gives us, he tells us about the ascension, and then when he starts the, uh, the book of Acts, he kind of goes back and covers just a little bit, so they overlap a little bit, and the ascension is the only event in the life of Jesus that Luke mentions twice. So it must be important. So I want to talk about the meaning of the ascension and then pull out a full, uh, few implications of the ascension. And so what do we mean when we say Jesus ascended or the ascension? Well, in verse 9, it says, After he had said this, he was taken up 
before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. I thought about naming my, my sermon Rocket Man. <laughs> but with President Trump recently calling Kim Jong-un Little Rocket Man, I thought, man, that may not be the best timing, <laughs> Rocket Man. But the idea of Jesus lifting off like into space, I mean, well, they have rocket boosters, uh, rocket man, and um, the word ascension, it, this idea of ascending, it has a double meaning. You think of a, a king or, or queen, and probably there was an ancient throne somewhere in the world that still today that you could ascend. In fact, there is a throne of England. Still, I've got a picture of it. Here, this is the sovereign throne, they call it. You can see it. Now, you can actually, any one of you, could actually go up and you could ascend, go up to the throne. You'd have to hurry and get out of there quick because you're not allowed to. But you could like physically go up and ascend. It means ascend means to, to go up. And, but you would know that just because you ascended to the throne, it would not change your relationship at all to the people of England. Like that would not make you the king of England. It would, Maybe in your mind, all right. Uh, it would not make you the, the queen of England, but you would, had ascended. And so that one, in, in one way we think about the word ascend, it's an actual going up, but it's, uh, but it's more than that. Because when a, someone does actually ascend to the throne, when Queen uh, Elizabeth, she's been queen for a long time, right? The longest reigning monarch in England in history. When she ascended her relationship to everybody in England, Change. She became their, uh, their queen. And so when, when it talks about Jesus ascending, um, it, it means more than just uh, spatially going, going up. Um, it's more than space travel. So here's, here's another, another picture here. Um, anybody know who that is? I'll give you a dollar. No, no. Who? No. He is not American. I got, who's got a dollar? I can give her. <laughs> Esther, she's got it. it uh, for another dollar? No. <laughs> for 500, Alex. Um, this was the first cosmonaut in the space. During the, the space, space wars uh, with Russia, uh, he was the first man in, into space. And, and when, he, when he came back, the, Russia, or the Soviet premier, Nikita Khrushchev, he said, How'd you say his last name? Garrigan? I'm not, there's some people from, uh, from Europe that can help me there. Garrigan, Yuri, his first name will go with Yuri. Yuri. <laughs> the premier said, here is Yuri who flew up to space and yet even he didn't see God anywhere. And it became propaganda, and over time it changed to where it was Yuri himself was given these words that I looked and looked, and there was no God. As if when Jesus ascended, he ascended spatially up into the heavens. And um, actually, Yuri would later say, as an, an astronaut cannot be suspended in space and not have God in his mind and his heart, was what Yuri had said. And, and so there are others that have postulated along these same lines that because we have the Hubble telescope, because we have been into space, we have looked for God and we have not found God. And, and so Jesus, when he ascended, like, where, where did he go? 
Is he up in the heavens, in, in the skies? And, but this isn't what the Bible teaches. And so if we think of the ascension as just a simply spatial going up, we're going to miss the point of what Jesus uh, did and, and where he went. And so Jesus did not ascend into the heavens, like, like as a permanent abode. And when Scripture uses the term heavens, it's talking about the sky, the stars, the universe, the heavens. Uh, but God does not relate to us the way a man in the attic relates to the people on the first floor. All right? Um, and this is despite the fact that we sometimes refer to God as the man upstairs. Do we not? Especially in country songs. Like, I wouldn't listen to country. It'll mess up your theology. Um, do people still listen to country music? Is that still a thing? I'm sorry. We'll have prayer lines when we're finished at the end. Uh, but uh, Patsy Cline wrote a song, The Man Upstairs. And actually, when I, uh, I did a Google for songs with man upstairs, Patsy Cline, and the song was Man Upstairs. Have you talked to the man upstairs? Because he wants to hear from you. Garth Brooks, uh, Rodney Atkins, Blake Shelton. I'm telling you, it's a country thing. Um, talking about the man upstairs. But, but God relates to us the way a playwright relates to the characters in her play. And the only way that the characters in, in the playwright's play know anything about the author is if the author writes herself into the story, okay? So God relates to us not as the man in the attic, but as the playwright. And the only way we know anything about God is that he has written himself into the story. And so we can know him, and we see that in creation when we look around and we see the mountains. I mean, the people in Colorado, we can see the glory of God, right? We're outside at night, and the, the streams, and the waterfalls, and the, the snow, and like we can see that. But ultimately, in Jesus Christ, he has revealed himself. He has come into the story, and so we know who God is. And so God is not the man upstairs like he is up there, and, and we are, are down here. So when it says Jesus ascended, it doesn't mean that he went to another part of the stage. Like, you know, if our characters, if we go like behind the curtain, it's going to be like Oz back there. Because uh, that's not the way that God relates to us. He, uh, he's not in another part of the universe, but it doesn't say he was taken into the heavens. What does it say? Verse 11. Acts 1, verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, these were the angels, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into where? Into heaven, into heaven. And so, um, like I said, this doesn't mean he went to live in a different part of, of the universe, but now, like a, a king who has ascended, he has a different relationship to all of us. And, and the son of God, he, he took upon himself a, a body. He knows what it is to be human. He lived that perfect life for us, and um, he fulfilled all of God's requirements. And when he died and rose from the dead, like what, what, what happened after that? He ascended. Which means, and this is, this is kind of a, a big, big thought here, but Jesus no longer exists in time and space like we understand it. Um, now you're thinking, Matthew, that's fine and dandy, but what, what does that matter that Jesus does not? And I'm glad you asked that question, and I'm glad you still use the word dandy um, when you asked it. But uh, I'm just distracting myself. <laughs> Um, but if Jesus existed in time and space, then he can only actually be in one space at a time. Like if he had not ascended, he may be able to be here with us in our church today, 
but he would not be able to be in the other churches, in the other countries, in other places where he said that he would, he would be. And um, so his ascension was to the throne in heaven. And now he can have a relationship with each one of us. And this is, this is huge. This is, this is huge. And um, if you recall, after Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, Mary Magdalene was at the tomb and she was looking for Jesus. And she thought she was talking to the gardener, like, I don't know where they've put the body. And, and when she recognized that it was Jesus, it says that she, she went and, and grabbed onto him and, and wouldn't let go. Like, she was afraid that she would lose him again. She thought he had, he had died. And if you're, well, you don't have to be a parent, but have you ever been worried about somebody? Like, maybe they got lost or they were where there was, a, like, a storm and you hadn't heard from them and you didn't have cell phone connection and... And when they come back to you, you just want to embrace them. Like, you just want to hold on to them. And uh, when Britt was two or three, we went to um, the Frisco Barbecue, big festival up in, up in the mountains. And the Frisco Barbecue, uh, several streets of thousands of people and lots of barbecue. That's what they do there. And you can sample, sample for payment, lots of barbecue. And, and so it's just shoulder to shoulder, people everywhere. And at one point, we, we look down and we realize that our two-year-old is missing. And as, as a, you probably figured out we did find him. <laughs> He's here this morning. But in that moment, when that happens to you as a parent, I mean, it's like the adrenaline drops. I mean, you're looking everywhere, calling out their name. And then when you grab them, like you don't know if to be happy, angry, where'd you go? And a two-year-old is mostly happy. It's not his fault. Um, and, and so, but you embrace them and you don't want to let go. And that's what Mary Magdalene was doing. Uh, and after that, like we learned from that experience, we would take permanent marker at events and write it, our phone number on Britt's arm. And that's no joke because he was an escape artist. Like he'd look around for one second, be talking to someone, gone. And so uh, we had to, to write in, you know, with the, the phone number. And then I remember another time I was working and Lori called me. And she was at another festival and had taken some neighbor's kids. And she called me. She's like, Matthew. I lost Kyle. <laughs> I mean, you lose someone else's kids. Uh, the mother ended up calling and like, oh, do you have my child? Because he hadn't. Anyway, that's another, another uh, story. So don't, don't send your kids with us to, uh, if, you want them, if you want them back. But what did Jesus say to her, to Mary Magdalene? He said, do not hold on to me. I have not yet ascended. There's that word to the Father. And when you first hear that, you might think, well, no one could touch Jesus. Was this like a magical, mystical thing where like if you touch him, like in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, remember Indiana Jones where the people melt? Like why couldn't they, they touch him? And it wasn't that she couldn't touch him because uh, there was other people who would touch Jesus after the resurrection. He would say to Thomas, touch my hands, my, my feet. And so it wasn't that they, they couldn't touch him, but he's saying, Mary, you don't understand if uh, you're afraid to let go of me because you think you'll lose me. Let go, let me ascend. And when I ascend, you'll never be able to lose me again. Mary, if I stay, I'll have to stay in one spot and you'll actually have less of me. But when I ascend, no one will ever, ever no one will ever be able to take you away from me. They could put you in the, the darkest dungeon. They could put uh, bars on the door. They could put you in prison, but they could never take you away from me if I ascend to the Father. Like when we see the importance of the ascension and, and he's like, Mary, when I ascend, not just you can have me, but all my people can have me with the ascension. 
So the ascension doesn't mean that Jesus went into the heavens, but he went into heaven. And because he ascends, and we're going to look in a couple weeks, he sends his Holy Spirit, we can always have him. And that is the, the meaning of the ascension. And so just in our remaining time, I want to look at a few of the implications. If that's what the ascension means, that he has ascended to the throne in heaven and can be outside of time and space, he can be present with us wherever we are, what are some of the implications of that? And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, it says, The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So it's the same Jesus. Like Jesus didn't uh, change. He's not evaporated. Um, but there is a, there's an old hymn of John Newton. John Newton's famous for Amazing Grace, slave trader in the 1700s. He wrote another hymn that was called How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. And it says, O Jesus, shepherd, guardian, friend, my prophet, priest, and king. And Christians have long looked at the life of Jesus and, and what Jesus did in his, his ministry and categorized it by he was a prophet, he was a priest, and, and he was a king. And the prophet, Jesus was an incredible preacher. And wherever he taught, people were set free. And then he was a priest. When, whenever people got around Jesus, they got near to Jesus. And even for us, through his death and his resurrection, he brings us near to Jesus. And that's what a priest does. It brings people to God. He brings people to God. And then he is our king. He is our liberating leader. And so when Jesus ascends, his prophetness, it's not really a word, okay? My, uh, my computer underlined it for me. It's not a word. His uh, priestness, also not a word, his kingness uh, became cosmic when Jesus ascended. So because he ascended, uh, his prophetness, priestness, kingness is available to everyone. And we see this in Scripture. In, in the book of Acts, we see how Jesus is the prophet. In Hebrews, it talks about Jesus being the high priest. In Ephesians, it shows us that Jesus is the king. And I just want to give us a taste of this practically. Like, what does this mean for us practically um, that Jesus ascended and as a prophet, priest, and king. And, and so first, as a prophet, I mean, Jesus was an incredible teacher. I mean, and so when he left, I can imagine the disciples were wondering, like, what are we going to do now? Our, our teacher is gone, and so how does the teaching ministry of Jesus continue now? Well, it continues through the Bible. Of course, we have a high view of Scripture here, that the Scripture has authority in our lives. That's the infallible Word of God. Uh, so we start with Scripture. But beyond that, the prophetic ministry of Jesus as a, as a prophet continues in the church today. And it's not just what's happening here on, on Sundays. And So remember, two weeks ago, we looked at the introduction to Acts. And, and Luke says, my first book, Theophilus, was about, was about what Jesus began to do, which means Acts is... A, what Jesus is continuing to do and continually doing through his church. And, and so we are continuing the teaching and prophetic ministry of Jesus. Now, here's what I mean. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17 says that Jesus came and preached to you who were far away and those who were near. And then a little later in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ, you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Uh, so Paul is reminding the Ephesians, this was a group of people not in Jerusalem, uh, Gentiles, uh, the majority of them probably, 
um, who had heard the message, someone had preached to them, and they were converted. And most translations, including what we're reading today, the, uh, the New International Version, in verse 21, it says, you heard about Jesus. It puts this little preposition in there. But uh, in the Greek, there is no preposition. It's just, you heard him. Now, that's interesting. Why would they, why would they do that? Um, you see, Jesus never went to Ephesus. These believers had never heard the actual voice of of Jesus. And so Paul is saying that Jesus came and preached to them. How could he say that they had heard him? And the translators, I think they put that preposition about in there because if you come along, you might be confused. Like, Jesus didn't go to Ephesus. Let's put about Jesus. Uh, But the language is, is stronger than that. And the idea is that when someone first told you even here today, about Jesus, did you realize that you heard the voice of Christ through them? That that is powerful. And when we tell people about Jesus, they are hearing the very word of Christ. When we share our faith, I mean, that's, I mean, how could Jesus come and preach to the Ephesians? It was through his people. It was through the church. And um, I mean, this is, so back in, in verse, uh, back in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, remember the, the apostles came and like, Jesus, are you going to do the kingdom thing now? Are you going to come? And Jesus says, but you will receive power. So the disciples are like, Jesus, will you? And Jesus to the disciples is like, will you? Like they were expecting Jesus to do this work, and now Jesus is turning it around and through the Holy Spirit is, is telling them, you have this work to do. And so let's take this even further in the, in the book of uh, Matthew. Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? He was a crazy guy in the desert. Like, prepare the way of the Lord, repent and be baptized. And Jesus went out to him to be baptized, and and Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, and he said, this is the greatest man who has ever lived, John the Baptist. But, Jesus said, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. Now, Now, think about that. The least in the kingdom of God so that tells us a couple things. One, somewhere in the world is the worst possible Christian. It was the absolute least in the kingdom of God. I mean, someone's got to be the least, right? I mean, the person with the least amount of faith. <laughs> Maybe it's you. I don't know. I'm not making any eye contact with anybody. Uh, but somewhere, I mean, not a lot of faith. I mean, their lifestyle doesn't match up with what they're saying they believe. And Jesus says... That person is greater than John the Baptist. Now, I don't, I mean, there's several things that that possibly means, but I think one of the things that it means is that we have the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, we know the story. John the Baptist was pointing people to Jesus, but he didn't have the full revelation of Jesus Christ. And and Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, he's telling his disciples, uh, he's teaching them in Scripture on the road to Emmaus. He's like, look back, it all points to me. When he meets with his disciples, the, the law and the prophets, it all points to me. And, um, and the disciples, and we do the same thing when we read scripture. Like we read ourselves in this story, right? Like David and Goliath. Like I want to be David. I want to slay my giant. Uh, or Moses, I should be like Moses. Or the prophets, I should be like them. But Jesus comes along and says, I'm the real David. I'm the real Moses. It all points to me. And, and so uh, Jesus says, I am the real prophet. 
I am the real priest. I am the real king. I am the real hero. And so the gospel is not try your best to live according to these words and then God will favor you. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came and lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died so that we can be accepted, not for our sake, but for Christ's sake and on Christ's behalf. That is the gospel message. And so this, this prophetic message is carried on through us. And when we tell people about the gospel, they hear the voice of Jesus. So the least in the kingdom, the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Not because we're more courageous than John the Baptist. Not because we're more eloquent than John the Baptist or have more faith than John the Baptist, but because we have this message of the gospel. And so when we think about this, having this message, uh, a few implications here of the ascension is that it should humble us. I mean, speaking the words of Christ himself, I mean, that, I mean, that gives me pause each Sunday when, when I get up to, to teach, like speaking this prophetic ministry that continues, but it's not just for me and not for Sundays, like as we go about our, our day. And, and so the disciples come to Jesus and it's like, will you at this time? He's like, no, 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 will you? At this time, be my witnesses. Will you at this time take this message to the ends of the earth? Will you represent me to people at the office on Monday? Like, what, what do people say about you at the office? Is it, is it uh, you know, she says she's a Christian, but when the deal is going south, she blames everybody else. Like, blames her partners or, or uh, when it's time to let somebody go, she's sick that day because she doesn't want to have to, confront anybody and just sends a, sends a message or, or when she's, she's selling, and I could say he, I don't know why I'm saying just she, or when he's, he's selling the, the goods of the business, he doesn't quite disclose everything, he kind of leaves some things hidden, holds back a little bit, like he or she is just like us. So does our life match our testimony that we belong to Christ? It should humble us. But not only that, it should raise us up. The ascension should raise us up. Uh, uh, we've got something that can change anyone's life. We have something that can change anyone's life. We have this message, this prophetic uh, teaching when we teach in, in the name of Jesus, when we share Jesus. And uh, I mean, you look all throughout history, there's story after story of, of people who were far from God. The great theologian Augustine was a sex addict. He came to Christ and was set free. Uh, John Newton, amazing grace, was a slave trader. He came to Christ, was set free. The apostle Paul himself was a murderer. He comes to Christ, he is set free himself. And so we have this message of the gospel and it, it should lift, well, on the one hand it humbles us, it also lifts us, lifts us up because we speak with authority. And so we have authority and we have humility when we understand the ascension of Jesus Christ. And one other implication, and one of the things that bothers me most, and it probably does you as well, and that I struggle with as a, a Christian, or other Christians, sometimes, the, the idiocy of some Christians, things they, uh, they post on Facebook, and then they have the audacity to tag you in that post. You're like, <laughs> let's uh, throw the phone down, try to, how do I get that off there? Uh, but you know what I'm talking about? Like sometimes we look around like, how, what? No. Like that is, 
and, or you see something, uh, a Christian in the news doing something on, on, in the name of Christ, and you're like, you know, here's my resignation. If this is what being a Christian is about, here is my, I mean, has anyone felt that way? We felt that way from, from time to time. Uh, but when we think of the, uh, the ascension, I mean, this is a danger for us when we see inconsistencies and foolishness in other Christians to say, we're not like them. Uh, we're, we're the real Christians. Just us four people in the whole world have got it all figured out. Like, we are not liberal. We are not conservative. Like, we have got it right. Um, we're not bigots. Like, however you want to phrase it. And this is dangerous because nobody has had his reputation maligned like Jesus. Nobody. Nobody's ever been more abused because of his followers than Jesus. And, but Jesus said, you are my representatives. And he was not afraid to give you his name. You know, with all the things that you've done and all the baggage that you carry, he was not afraid to give you his name and um, not afraid to identify with us. And if that's the case, we shouldn't be afraid to identify with other believers, even though it can cause us heartburn. And doesn't mean we have to embrace what they're saying, but we don't just separate ourselves. And we look last week at the disciples uh, when they, you know, how they misunderstood the kingdom. Like, Jesus, is it coming now? Israel's going to be elevated. It's going to be awesome. And if Jesus had taken the attitude of some of us at that moment, he might have been like, you know what? You guys still don't get it. I can't leave. I'm going to do it myself. Like, there's, there's work to be done, and, and you can't do it because these were flawed individuals. And, and so if, if Jesus can trust in perfect people to carry his message, if he's willing to identify with us, then I think the third implication of the ascension is that we've got to be patient with one another. Amen? We've got to be patient with one another. So Jesus has ascended. He's given us this prophetic ministry. It should humble us, but we speak with authority and we have patience towards one another. And, and my time is up. You see Najee coming, you know my time is up. Like, he's like, all right, pastor, all done. No. Um, and I haven't even talked about what it meant for Jesus to be the ascended priest and our ascended king. And I'll just briefly what it means for Jesus to be our ascended king. Romans 8, 28, it says that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are court called according to his purpose. It's not saying all things are good, but that God is working all things for our good. And if Jesus has ascended to the throne of heaven, to the right hand of the Father, then that verse is true. Then we can believe that God is working everything for our good, no matter what. Because he is our ascended king, he is on the throne, and so he knows even if we can't see the end from the beginning and, and it's, we're not in a good place, our king who is ascended, who is outside of time, he knows and he's working on our behalf. And so the, the ascension and, and, and Acts, when it's talking about the ascensions, apparently the disciples, they didn't get it at first. They're standing there gawking up into heaven. Like, where'd he go? Like, we've lost him again. But after the angels come and, and tell him that he's coming back, and Luke, uh, when Luke records the ascension in Luke, he, he concludes it this way, after he had been taken from them, it says, then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. So when we, when we understand the ascension, I believe it will lead us to great joy. Like when we understand that our Jesus has ascended and that same Jesus will return 
one day for us. Amen.